0: Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar.
1: When we used to go around to play solar systems or try and sell them, who did we talk to back then? We went to the facilities guy. We talked to the guy with 50 keys on his belt. We talked to the guy that bought the switch gear. We talked to the guys that ordered electricity or bought the electricity. That's how the early days happen
0: this is
1: suncast in every battle there's a front line on that front line are warriors whose courage and actions shape the outcome of the battle
0: the world is currently engaged in a literal power struggle a battle in global energy as it evolves from fossil fuels to renewable energy suncast is a conversation with solar warriors on the front lines building the most noble and impactful companies of our time We learn their secrets to
1: personal and professional growth, market development, and industry insights. And now, join solar industry veteran, Latin America fanatic, and your host, Nico Johnson.
0: Hey there, and welcome back to Suncast. And this is episode 40. Can't believe we're already on episode 40. Hey, I'm your host, Nico Johnson, and I'm so glad that you've chosen this episode to fill your ears, and I hope that it's a beautiful day wherever you are. I promise you will not be disappointed, so thank you for investing another hour here with us. This is a longish intro for a longer episode, so settle in for what I hope you'll agree is a fun and fact-filled episode. Today, we're continuing what I've dubbed the Solar Pioneers series, but before we begin, I wanna take a moment to clarify and to honor the work of several others in the industry. It's recently come to my attention that another friend and veteran in the industry, Mr. Jeff Spees, has been working on a similarly titled documentary highlighting the lives and experience of those who were truly pioneers of the U.S. residential PV market beginning way back in the 60s and 70s, building some of the early businesses that really helped launch the solar PV as an industry. This is not that. I apologize in advance to Jeff for any misconception beforehand as I chose to use the term pioneers primarily because the folks in this Suncast interview series have indeed been pioneers of business models and companies contributing to what might be called the modern solar PV growth era, beginning around mid-1990s and into the 2000s, growing some of today's iconic businesses. Though, as we discovered last week with the inaugural episode, Many of these folks, too, have been in the solar business since the 80s and have been instrumental in helping our industry scale to become one of global importance and dominance. We are truly standing on the shoulders of giants, folks, and it would be nearly impossible to capture all the voices of all those who were visionaries and martyrs in lifting solar out of obscurity and into the mainstream. Thank you to all of you who have indeed been pioneers, whether you've been recognized or not. If you'd like to learn more about the Solar Pioneer Party that launched it all for Jeff Spees and sent him on a two-year journey to document the stories of these early U.S. solar pioneers, check out solarpioneerparty.com. I'll also include a few links in the show notes for those who are interested. Back to today's episode, I first met today's guest back in 2009 when I was a young project developer in Northern California looking for financing solutions for our commercial customers. Corey Vaughn was leading the then-fledgling Sun Edison's channel growth strategy and national accounts team, and from the moment I heard him speak, I knew he had some stories to share. Corey's had the good fortune of being an early team member with a front-row seat to several startups that have become industry-leading behemoths, and in today's episode, we get into detail about his early days in retail and his pivot to working on oil and gas and eventually solar. A group of fellow pioneers who call themselves the Solar Cowboys, and how Corey became a part of that. Corey's thoughts on selling in the pre- and post-China era of low-cost solar panels, being one of the first in and last out of Sun Edison. how Corey thinks about growing his sales teams and bringing in strategies from other industries, a revised version of Hot or Not, and really so, so much more. Mm, so much more, in fact, that this will be part one of two. Corey and I talked for well over two hours, and while we've tried to winnow it down here, I've decided to release this as one of two parts. So hope you enjoy part one today and get ready for an audio history journey with a true storyteller. Thank you again for showing up here. If there are specific things that you'd like to hear more of here on Suncast, Or if there are solar pioneers that I should be interviewing, please reach out to me. I am not intentionally leaving anyone out, guys. Trust me. This is mostly based on my relationships. And thank you for those who've already reached out after Dan's episode last week. Hey, I can't do this without you. And I really want to help you try to solve your problems. So if you have someone or something you think should be on Suncast, please shoot me an email. Nico. At MySuncast.com. Find me on LinkedIn or you can even pop over to the website and leave a quick voicemail right from your smartphone. The website's www.MySuncast.com. And one last thing, I'm so grateful for those who choose to collaborate with Suncast and this episode is brought to you in partnership with SoulRates.com. SoulRates is the fast and free online platform for providing your commercial customers with a credible lease financing proposal. If you got projects over 100,000 in value and you'd like to see how soul Rates can help you quickly and easily deliver a financing proposal to your customers, please reach out to me directly. I just gave you my email. I'll give you an invitation code to join the platform. Hey, did I mention it's free? <laughs> All right. Thanks again for taking the time to be here. Enjoy this week's episode of SunCast, continuing our Solar Pioneer series with the inimitable Corey Vaughn. Accomplished, innovative, performance-focused—these are just a few of the adjectives that even begin to describe today's guest on Suncast. I first met Corey Vaughn way back in 2009 when I was at a little company in California called DRI Energy, and he was running the DG team. Hell, he must may have been running all of the teams at Sun Edison. We'll find out. And Corey was, and still is, a very magnetic personality. He's one of the most connected and well-respected people that I know in the industry, in part because he's been a senior executive with a highly successful 25 plus year career in solar and oil and gas, involved in global sales planning, business development, organizational leadership, and landing some of the landmark contracts and sort of big time deals in the early US solar market growth. We're gonna talk about all that today. You know, Corey is truly one of our industry's movers and shakers and worthy of the title founding father Corey, my friend, such an honor to have you on Suncast. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you
1: very much. And uh, founding father, well, we'll just say maybe the mayor for a while, okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you've certainly had a hand in making some decisions, so we we'll... Yeah,
1: there there are some definitely founding fathers that we're associated with, but I did get that nickname for a long time at at least the C U shows. That's kind of the mayor, so. Um, it does That's take nice. a little while to walk through the aisles and
0: say hi to everybody. So it's, you're always kissing babies, man. <laughs> So (laughs) Well, actually, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about solar cowboys. What is solar cowboys? Tell me about that
1: Interesting, you know, um Over the years when we first were dipping our toes into solar um, There were a few key players that had already been in the business Uh, The Founder of real goods as Mm -hmm. an example Um, You know, there was uh, a couple of distributorships that had been actually very, very small dealers that had uh, Sam Vanderhoof, had a Ron yeah. Kennedy there and so forth. And um,
0: Dealers for manufacturers that wanted to sell into the market.
1: De- dealers? Well, really, there were only just a couple manufacturers
0: at the time. Yeah, it was like Very, sharp. very
1: low, very low-wadded modules. Mm-hmm. Um, the technology was relatively new. We're talking like
0: 1975? On... No, I'm kidding. It's like 1995,
1: 96? This is, this is probably the, the late 80s, early 90s. Mm and um it was all the folks that were working with arco solar
0: right yeah yeah
1: arco arco was uh, the pioneer of really uh, getting the the solar and and uh, getting the product out there Mm -hmm. not to forget that you know polycrystalline had been invented by a company named Mm Solarx, which was on the east coast yeah and um so when it kind of worked back into solar cowboys um, as we kind of get into the, some of the stories and explanations of where these key individuals, uh, you know, fell together in my life, um, right about the time that Sun Edison started, Sam Vanderhoof, who mm-hmm. was kind of the the ringleader, said, "Hey." I think we need an advisory board, because at this point, they'd all sold their businesses and had become very wealthy right. um, entrepreneurs, and they still were young, and they wanted to still be involved. They still had the passion and the spirit, so they started advising foreign companies now that wanted to come in and get some of the U.S. foothold and get involved, so um, he started this group called Solar Cowboys, <laughs> and so Solar Cowboys is just primarily a worldwide leader in renewable energy consulting the services include the offerings of comprehensive affordable take and renewable energy consulting for commercial utility and residential <laughs> projects. But what's interesting about it is the fact that they really have the experience, and so a lot of the foreign companies would utilize them to use them for their connections and their knowledge. Yeah,
0: yeah it's funny. I mean, I've looked at uh, – I mean, I know all these guys, and I've looked at your uh, – your LinkedIn, and it's one, everyone talks about the old times back in the days and the Solar Cowboys, but, you know, some may look at your LinkedIn and think, what is the – there's an actual group called Solar Cowboys. That's hilarious. But, it's uh,
1: interesting. And when you try and find it on, on the web, you know, it's mm. dot com. Yeah. And, um, and they really do consulting. They they really work together. And as we come in, everything you need to, just in general consulting as well as, you know, CRV consulting by company
0: well you didn't start with solar cowboys you didn't even start with sun edison in fact you didn't even start with british petroleum as uh, as anyone who looks at your linkedin will see that you were uh, an accomplished team member there you started way back in retail and i have a question that will help us understand about your time in the early days in retail Uh, as best i recall it was costco i'd love to know what was the catalyst for you leaving that first sort of big job and how did you know it was time to move on?
1: Absolutely. And you know, let's, let's just also just scoot back maybe 13 years prior Mm -hmm. to leaving Costco, just, just out of college, um, land attorney that was associated with my father said, Hey, there's this um, restaurant supply company with a guy that used to own this big retail company. Who's going to need to land in Mesa, Arizona, where I was from. And he's bringing uh, his second and third location and fourth location is Arizona. And uh, right now he's in an airplane hangar in San Diego. His name's Robert Price. And um, this place is called Price Club. It's really interesting. You go there and you get 15 pounds of peanuts or you get 40 gallons of milk, you know. But they're going to try and turn it into kind of like a low-cost... Retail type piece, but it would be wholesale cash and carry for business owners only or members of organizations And so I started I got the job. It was in the summertime I was still going to school part-time and I got put in the parking lot pushing shopping carts 110 15 degree weather Got moved inside and got to work on the front end with the cash registers and so forth And back then the item codes were all memorized so we actually had to memorize 4,500 numbers. They were marked on them, but after a while, it running the register so much, we actually had to memorize most of the numbers. And we had to calculate the taxes in our head. It was really kind of crazy. Very high volume, very busy. A gentleman approached me and he said, hey, I've been watching you work for about three months. My name is Jeff Brotman. I found a company named AK Software. I've got a new thing called Starbucks rolling around with some other buddies. And I'm from Seattle and we're going to start a new company called Costco. Uh-huh. Would, you like, would you like to join us on the ground floor and do that? So primarily for 13 years, I worked under the president of Costco in operational procedural auditing. But what I basically did is went to every new market, opened several hundred stores, worked to the city councils, worked with the county commissions, worked with liquor licenses and boards and real estate and land and training and procedures and operations. And so I did that. Then... Obviously, Robert was very upset that we left, and um, there was a hostile takeover about 10 years later, and we bought Mothership, but it was was places a merger of equals, but it's really a takeover, and then we took Price Club back, and I was on the merger and integration team, and I got to go to all those Price Clubs. And convert them to Costco's. Now the catalyst of leaving.
0: Amazing. Wait, wait, wait. Before you get go to the catalyst <laughs> yeah. of leaving, that's an amazing story. I had no idea that was coming. Um, I mean, I'm just literally I'm looking at the Costco Wikipedia right now. For those who might think, oh, this is uh, this is Corey making up some more of his dinner time banter, uh, the, the guy is like, I, he's literally. It's as though he's reading off the Wikipedia page, and I'm watching him, so I know he's not. This is amazing. an Amazing <laughs> story. Now. As a little bit of just additional information, what you mentioned about Starbucks, the actual warehouse that uh, that Costco started in was and Price level were owned by Howard Hughes. Oh, really? 4401 4th Avenue South, right? That, right yeah, by the so Kingdom. That, Interesting. So, so there's the there's the legitimate connection with Howard Hughes. So it, this is amazing. So the thank you for that backstory. You're a retail magnate. You help these guys uh, open all these stores, and you, this is this is your thing. You understand land. You understand. Uh, how how uh, big time players move into new markets? Well, that
1: was that was the thing, Nico. Was that um, I was a young, twenty two, twenty three year old, side by side with these icons in the retail industry. These guys had all run FedMart and these huge operations and change, and they they put me with them, and I was on steel racks, putting racking up with them. I was. Learning how to negotiate concrete contracts for the floors or, you know, how to go in and, and so forth. And all the learning process came through. Now, being understood, when they went public, Costco, for at that time, was the fastest growing, most profitable company in the history of the United States. Yeah. So the original 100 of us in 1995 got an opportunity to kind of segue out if we wanted to or whatever else. Now, to kind of go into the story… Um, I built a lot of the front ends, so it was always a dream at Price Club. We had I, I we had IBM, we had IBM. Excuse me, we had NCR, which is Natural Cash Register, had the mm-hmm. cash registers that worked very, very well with what we were doing. However, the process of trying to connect the data was unheard of at that time. You know, centralized inventories, just-in-time replenishment. Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, twenty five thousand items you have forty five hundred and you need to have pallets in the still to replace the pallet on the floor to move through. So that being said, we had to figure out how to do it. Well IBM at the time had the back office mm-hmm. to be crazy, it was efficient. Now, how do you make NCR talk to IBM? Now going back that far, the languages were different, the computers were different. How to bridge that, and that's what was done for Costco, is these two mega companies then merged together, and IBM then took over with it, wow. and then had the the cash registers, and that's when they went to the scanners. Wow. So when I was when I was doing that process, and I had my NCR guy that used to have to come in and fix all the time, and he went to all my stores, and um, he'd been with um, he'd been with NCR for quite a while and then we had our other guy with IBM he's with IBM for 32 years and I was uh, living on an airplane at the time flying every week and so forth and I went to Sacramento airport and I got out of the car and the bus came to pick me up and my lifeline IBM big blue guy was driving the bus he was almost 60 years old and he'd only worked one job the last 32 years. And there he was. And he said that um, they got laid off, they had the downsizing, and he couldn't find a job. And the only thing he could do was drive a bus to the airport. What? And what I learned at that moment in time is diversification. Mm. So when I thought to myself... I can be in retail. I can have this specialized industry, which there's really nothing like the wholesale cash and carry industry. Yeah. There's Costco now. There's Sam's Club, BJ's, but all the other ones have come and gone.
0: Yeah.
1: That's a very narrow funnel. And I wanted to make sure that I had the opportunity. So in my staffing of the stores, I worked a lot with the private industry council and, uh, the gal that I worked with um, that was shutting down all the, the naval air bases and the stations and so forth throughout California. And I, when I went on to work with them a lot, she was leaving. I said, where, where are you going? Where are you going? And she said, I'm going to go do this um, BP thing, this solar thing. They <laughs> like, the, like the sun shines on this glass and next thing you know it makes like power and um, they need a head of HR. So I, I, dude, I want to go. I want to go. So they set up a, a meeting with the president for me of um, BP America, and they interviewed me, and uh, he was like, um, so do you have any sales experience? And I was like, well, you know, I've been trying to sell a concept in the company for the last 13 years and new markets and so forth. I, I don't really. But um, – you know, we said, well, what are your aspirations? And I said, I want your job. And it blew his hair back. And he didn't really know how to handle that one. So they hired me. And, um, and they
0: hired you as the head of sales or what?
1: They hired me as a sales administrator because they had already hired the head of sales. Right. So I was employed number two. Yeah. And um, we didn't even know what solar was. I remember them sitting down, one of the, the solar guy that was hired to do the sales and, and drawing on a napkin. DC, power, current, watts, you know, what all the things were. I had no idea what a solar panel was. And so that was uh that was the switch over why I left the industry was because I did not want to only have skills in one industry. Yeah. And of that industry a a a very small piece, mm. retail's ginormous and huge. Yeah. But, you know, Nico, for 13 years, I never had a holiday off. I never had a weekend off. You work nights. You work weekends. You get your vacations in February, the slow time. <laughs> You're already stocking for Christmas in August. Mm. You know, there's just, it's just a really grueling, you know. So primarily solar is what we're looking at. But it was a very fascinating story and, and, then how,
0: yeah.
1: and how they grew that.
0: Yeah. We're going to talk, uh, I mean, I've, we probably go well over the normal a lot of time because you have so many wonderful stories and there's a lot to unpack with uh, with your career. I never do this, but I want to drill down to more of a philosophical question here. You've watched the rise of the solar industry. Uh, in many ways, the solar industry, you jumped in at the same time as sort of the, the, wholesale, uh, the wholesale industry, wholesale goods industry that you did with Costco. What would you say to the 33-year-old who has been in the solar industry for the last 10 years and is feeling a bit of that, like, maybe he's not diversified. Maybe all he's ever done out of college is solar. Uh, I haven't thought about this in a while, but what would you, as is, 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 I'm going to say, a, a, a founding father, someone who's been in the industry long enough to have seen you know, multiple industries rise and fall? I'm not in any way projecting that the solar industry is, but... On the heels of what you just described of your experience at Costco, what might be your advice to that 35-year-old, 33-year-old?
1: Well, I think the advice would be diversification within the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, don't just sit there and be a an expert in, you know, telemetry or off-grid solar or whatever. You know, I would definitely learn your residential i would learn some you know some possibilities of maybe some small commercial i'd maybe even look at some utility bits really well diversified because companies come and go yeah and new management brings in new brooms and they sweep clean every time and sometimes people reorg they fall out there's been a lot of business closers in in this industry as you know yeah. and it was a incentive driven and so you know We always needed this business to stand alone on its own without incentives. Mm -hmm. Every time the the investment tax credit would run out or that was going to go on the wayside or an incentive from utility ended, there's fluctuations and people kind of came and gone. If you look at the the history of solar, you know, so Costco, when I started there, was in the the early 80s. When I started in solar was in the mid 90s. Well, prior to that primarily the only people that were really, really doing solar were the telemetry, cathodic protection, the oil and gas industry, Mm -hmm. you know, to do that. A railway.
0: cathodic protection?
1: I don't know that. Cathodic protection, um, the oil pipelines, the gas pipelines, the different Ah. things that run through, um, corrode, especially uh, they need to have electrical charges on them to keep the corrosion from going. So along all these pipelines, you would have, basically DC solar panels that would go through there with a device that would, Providing. you know, would provide current to, huh. to keep the the, the um, pieces down. The other part of the solar was batter, charging batteries for railway station signs or the right. lights that go along buoys out in the water. How did those remain lit, right? Yeah, it was very um, it
0: was remote applications.
1: Well, off-grid was the, the bigger pieces. Right, know, I mean, that's it, how they were cast business, right? It was all off-grid. Well, David made his business, yeah, and primarily is, and you know, we we're right now currently putting out a a history of the solar business of kind of like the 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 solar cowboys, the the originals, and um, it should be out soon. But uh, the originals, and primarily, most of the off grid was for the folks in California growing marijuana. Believe it or <laughs> not,
0: I believe it. Yep
1: you know, to run the drip systems and so forth. People will think, oh, they ran the lights. No, they actually ran the drip systems to get the water to the plants, you know, and so forth. But um, it was a a good business, and that's how we really started. But now to answer the question about diversification, I've seen waves of people come in and out, you know, and maybe I would say probably 2010, the tech guys Wanted to swoop in. Right, I remember. You know, from Silicon Valley. Anybody who's been selling software or. Boy, they could sell solar. And guess what? They all churned and burned and they left. Because the eight or ten month period it takes to put a solar system for a big commercial system, you know. Mm -hmm. Getting everything's needed and so forth. Oh, and by Mm -hmm. the way, there's not a a 60% margin on, on that system. There might be a single digit. So the money, well, I think the money wasn't. You know, the 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 guys that sold licenses and seats for software and so forth made tons of money,
0: especially here in the Bay Area. And if you sold a million dollars worth of software, you were making. Or if you sold ten million dollars in software, right. you were making a million dollars in. Business. Exactly, exactly. And you sell ten million solar, you're making ten thousand. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> if if they had paid for the product, you know, and it's funny too. We should. We should probably scoot back a little bit to, you know, this, this whole bit, you know, when, when, uh, those few companies photocom had their little dealership, you know, real goods was open. Solarx was starting distribution and their put their technology called polycrystalline, which was a, a recycle method from the, the single cell crystal, you know, and, um, the monocrystalline. so it was a technology that was much cheaper. BP is an oil company and so Lord John Brown who was the CEO, the chairman of uh, British Petroleum was very innovative and very forward-thinking. You know this is in 1995 he made a speech at Stanford you know and a big address on climate change and he said you know we have about 50 years of fossil fuels to go. It was the estimation at the time. Wow. And we have got to direct this company somewhere for the future, for stability, for revenue stream. And so that's when they put all the money together. And British Petroleum then changed its name to Beyond Petroleum. And they did the big... Sun as their cast, and we did several hundred, you know, grid connected gas stations and so forth. And they really were serious about it. Now, keep that in mind. They're in Europe, they have a technology which is, you know, cutting edge. Um, Professor Martin Green from the University of New South Wales developed a technology which is a laser groove buried grid technology, which is a Saturn product, which was the first of its kind of a very highly efficient module. Mm -hmm. Remember in in 1995, the biggest solar panel out there was a 75 watt panel. That was the biggest size. And then Astro Power came out with a 100 watt panel because they were able to go in a bigger cell. Revolutionary, crazy. So Mm -hmm. this oil company that decided to do distribution. So when I was tasked with designing and building a dealer and distributor network and how it's going to market these products. Primarily the last person in the world that was going to buy a product from an oil company or the Sandals and Candles Uh or the Ponytail Posse, the hippie dealers were out there supplying the off-grid markets for people that had left San Francisco, that had gone to the mountains and their homesteads and they needed off-grid living, Mm -hmm. they wanted to detach from you know, reality of the... They were they the, were the
0: antithesis of a BP customer.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I used to give them T-shirts. They would put mud over the logos. They would hate us. And <laughs> so we went to the Midwest Renewable Fair, which was at that time the largest renewable energy fair in the world. Wow. We get about 10,000 people in Amherst, Wisconsin. Yeah. And we get up there. And our first year, I'll never forget, you know, BP was very kind of proper in their dress and... Mm. You know, I refuse to wear a, a three-piece suit. <laughs> I had to wear a three-piece suit in the office, but when we are out with the customers, I begged them to let us please wear golf shirts. Right. So right. We, we didn't wear golf shirts and ascots, of course. We wore our golf shirts. And um, I was cornered at Midwest one night with all the guys, hippies around me, and they were really wonderful, amazing engineers. You know, it, hippies are educated. They're smart. Right. And they're very intelligent and they're very astute to what's they're going independent on. Independent thinkers, exactly. And they cornered me. And um, what's the intent? Why? Why are you doing this? You're an oil company. You, you know, you're ruining the earth. Your, you know, global warming and so forth was just kind of really starting to be spoken about. Mm. And my view, as I said, reminded them, what about Arco? If it weren't for the oil companies, there wouldn't be solar. If it weren't for NASA, we'd have no solar panels. Shut up, cash your checks, get the business going. Let's build a revolutionary business out of this and let's move on. And we became great friends after that and really built the organization. And so, you know, we we built that organization to the largest in the world and um, had about, what, 3,700 dealers and 120 EPCs and 119 distributors in 111 countries. And, you know, I, I lived in an airplane I had
0: 4 million miles and flying and wow. but it was a great experience I remember one of the first stories you told when I first met you was about I think maybe it was um oh one oh one oh two the you probably remember the story but basically selling out in a day sold out in an hour do you, do you remember oh you remember oh I, I Maryland do. plant
1: yeah here's the funny part so I had to somehow figure out how to create a strategy to appeal to to these expert dealers that had been actually doing the business because the wave moving forward was grid-connected energy. That was just the huge thing going on in Europe. Right. But remember, the the current in Europe is different than ours. Right. They don't have to have the same inverters. They can primarily use a solar panel and it just can run right into the system, right? You don't have to have step-down transformers and so forth to... To to do that, and so we hired a grant writer and um, helped us write a grant for a solar program to design a home system. Mm-hmm. And so to do this, I found out who all the key players were in the business. Richard Perez, who was the founder and editor of Home Power Magazine. Mm -hmm. You know, David Katz, who was with the original dealer. Sam Vanderhoof, who was with Trace Engineering. You know, I got about 20 people around this table in Fairfield, Arizona at the factory. Fairfield, excuse me, California at the factory. And had a design review team. So everybody there was part of the design of this new system that they would actually be promoting and selling and wow. doing it crap. we learn sh- <laughs> exactly and what's what's amazing about it we learned things like you know what those hubs are crazy we can't get our wrenches in there you need to find this out us why are you using a european spec part there on this u.s product mm. you know it was crazy so we learned a lot of different things and built this relationship now this is a funny story so I'm 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 taking this bus load of people to Napa. British Petroleum was there and um SolarX was our big competitor. They had the polycrystalline and we had very expensive mono. So remember the, the selling price of mono back then was about five dollars a watt. Okay. Some sometimes you can, might be able to get down into the low fours with quantities and so forth, but it was really expensive and then solar x could sell their stuff in the three range the three dollar and 90 cent range and so we always have to explain how much better our product was and so forth and so forth and so we're on our way over to napa one night and and we were just carrying on and the bus was crazy and everybody just slamming solar x you know just slamming it so I got on the, the microphone and I said, don't knock the competition because you never know who you'll own tomorrow. Yeah, The BP was just a huge, they were actually larger than Walmart at the time. Right. You know, the lar- largest company in the world actually. And so um, the next morning in the design review, the fax machine ran and we got a memo that British Petroleum had just purchased Amoco. No way. Amoco owned <laughs> Solarx with Enron. <laughs> yep. So, so we negotiated the deal and we bought the other half of Enron out before they went down, and we bought Solarx outright. And then I was tasked with managing BP Solarx. Had to manage these two separate organizations for a couple of years, and then merge them together, nice and so forth. So now, there was a huge shortage of modules worldwide. Germany was going crazy; they were consuming every piece. Now. Most of the companies took advantage of the higher prices over there mm-hmm. and they sold out and they just basically screwed the US customers, left them. And high and dry. They built these businesses, high and dry, they had nothing. I I didn't. I made sure that my distributors that were key locations and key people and so forth so we had our factory. And so, you know, you want to talk about volumes and, and quantities. So... We went out to the customers like Anush Mazani, who had Solar Depot at the time. Solar Depot was a huge distributor in the Bay Area in San Francisco, with a reach nationwide. Uh, it's now Solagent, with the other acquisitions, which is a, a great distributor of products. And um, set out the notion, said, "What price do you need to be able to sell your warehouse through?" And I remember him saying, "I need 305." Well. 305 at the time was just ridiculous, but we were able to, And but how many megawatts could you sell if we were to give you that price? And he said, I could sell five megawatts. Hmm. So once we went through there and did that, and we opened up the business, we sold out the factory in one day, <laughs> one day, and that was based on keeping the modules in the United States Selling the quantities that they could get and getting the price and not taking advantage of the market and the
0: people. That is remarkable, remarkable. One day. So what'd you do with the other 364?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I spent most of my time trying to stop the the product from getting bootlegged to, to getting a hot Jack to the Europe, right? Uh, exactly. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. So yeah. it, this is in the in what in what year? 2000, 2001, or is this
1: the uh, this, so late night? This would have been in the in the mid two thousands when it was really going gotcha. crazy gotcha. because so this is when Spain um, was
0: firing and Germany was firing like two thousand three two thousand exactly, right? Gotcha. So you know it had been about
1: a decade I'd been there and everything was going very well. But the the problem that was happening now was that um, there was a tremendous amount of pressure for profitability mm-hmm. within the solar company because primarily before Lord Brown was like. We're going to do this business. Now, remember, you know, a hundred million dollar business on a multi-billion dollar company is not
0: even a line on the pie chart. I was going to ask, how much visibility did you guys have at all, or resources? We
1: had more visibility than anybody else did because it was Lord Brown's pet deal. Uh It was his pet, exactly. And so there was a a unfortunate uh, removal of him from office, Mm -hmm. and uh, the new guys came in. There was that little oil spill. Going down, down in uh little things. The the golf, yeah, yeah that caused some issues. But
0: five, six,
1: five Kind of prior prior to that, I had this um, guy there at uh, Sunetta, excuse me, at um, BP Solar, who worked in our business development department. Little analyst. And actually, he was a business development guy. He was very very bright. He's from Illinois. Yeah. And his name is Jigger Shah. The Jigger Shah. The Jigger Shah. No yeah, way. Is Jigger Shah. Yep. Jigger used to come in my office, and he was so brilliant and bright, and he was describing to me how we were going to build the first residential solar network empire. Mm -hmm. And as he was talking to me, it was almost like he could write behind his head on the whiteboard and take notes for us while he was talking. (laughs) It was just like you you just wanted to get him out of your office because you just knew there was no way to pay for this, whatever else. And uh, Jigger supported us. And uh, the, with the current president of uh, BP Japan, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Postles, um, honest to goodness, built the largest piece of residential program and built some really huge installers throughout California. Uh, some of them were selling a thousand systems a year, which is unheard of. Wow. Back when the, when the incentives were about $12 a watt, $10 a watt. It. So
0: it's kind of crazy. Test kit programs, yeah.
1: The, the CSI, yeah. yeah. Well, pretty much um, the CSI. Exactly. And so it was interesting, you know, with the California Solar Initiative, you know, they kind of just gave you the rebates. Mm. And then there was kind of some stuff went on with that. Then we had the performance-based index, which is the PBI, which is what went through on that. So Jigger um, helped me build this organization. He's doing really well, but he and this guy named um, Brian Robertson mm-hmm. participated in the um, Harvard Business Review had a kind of like a contest, kind of a business plan writing. And Jigger was still in college at the time. Was he still in grad? School? No, he was. He was no. He was. He was done. He was working for BP. Wow. He was kind of doing this stuff, and uh, from what I understand, and um, kind of won. This concept of of taking a power purchase agreement. Remember, there was no traction at the time in in PPAs. There didn't exist in in anything besides, you know, the older times of oil and gas. But figuring out a way to take an investor to bring into an end user to buy this multi-million dollar system and have the end user buy the power, but the proceeds go to the investor. The investor gets the tax credits and then it gets bought. Purchased back by the integrator, which is us, Sun Edison. It was an amazing thing. So,
0: uh, this little company named
1: go, go ahead. No, I
0: was going to say. So, this is an idea. You watch this idea blossom. This this idea While was blossoming.
1: Right, right. And then he went with to Mary Shields, who's our president, and um, kind of helped coordinate the initial piece. He was, um, he was he had already left us at that point to pursue this venture. Yeah. Called Sun Edison. So when you said and our
0: – Mary Shields was the president of BP America.
1: She, she was the president of BP America, mm. BP Solar, BP Solar Incorporated. And um, she would come in from Houston from BP. And he asked her for funding. Came for funding to, to kind of support that. And so uh, they were participating, and then they got some seed capital from uh, that little company called Goldman Sachs. Right so that's that's kind of where it started. And uh, their first initial customers were um, Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Now, in the process of selling this idea, um uh, Jigger had been up and down the east coast and and uh, really connected with a lot of the the retail um, moguls that were very interested in sustainability at the time. So that's kind of where that happened. And so what happened with me when leaving BP Solar, well, it was right at the point where the company decided that um, profitability was now a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Not that we didn't try and make profit before, and we worked towards that, but um, it just was not the same. Yeah. You know, I'm a man of my word, and if you make an obligation, I'm going to take five megawatts to you, and you're going to sell them at this. I'm not the last minute. I'm
0: not going to raise it it's back to five dollars. more profit in another region. Right, yeah. right. So... Um, which the, that, was the, that was the way modules were sold in the early 2000s. It was wherever the profit is. Not, exactly. <laughs> not <for> the customer. <laughs> Purchase
1: order didn't mean anything. That's right, but, yeah. So their um, Jigger ended up purchasing Team Solar and um, New Vision Technologies, which were two of my largest integrators and installers California. in California, right. doing commercial work. <laughs> and next thing you know, I had handled those accounts very well. Angela Lovizio, Brian Jackalick, um, uh, Jeremy, Paige.
0: Wait, wait, sure Viziano was connected to team solar. And
1: he, he's a founder of team solar. Yeah. I did not
0: know that. Wow. Yeah.
1: He's going to be he, on the show too, but he's got yeah, it. I've got it. He's amazing. He's amazing. He's Andrew, one of the best. I right now. He's <laughs> <aware>. <laughs> well, I learned a lot from him, but you know, uh, he and Angela are amazing. I was just up at their, their offices recently and, uh, he's, he's really amazing. But anyway, so, mm-hmm. um, so he acquired, and, and they're your, one of your biggest They customers. acquired them. Right. And so, then you had this company called Sun Edison. She so had Brian Robertson who was really the founder and he'd made his money with them selling to Amazon, his toy company. Mm-hmm. Claire Broido, Jigger, Chris Cook, Legal Law, uh, Brian Jacklick, obviously, Jeremy Page, Angelo. Those were all the original, original founders of Sun Edison. Mm-hmm. Then they needed to have a finance department and they needed to have a sales department. So they came to me and they said, We've loved the way you've managed our accounts in the past, and we want you to manage our new accounts. Would you come and work for us? Now, understanding this is a startup, this was less money than I made, I was going to have to walk away from my commissions, I was going to have to leave Mothership BP, Hmm. you know, having working for an oil company and working for the largest company in the world and essentially never having to worry about whether the paychecks are going to be cashed or not or yeah. you know the, the pensions and so forth to go to the startup
0: and this is and you're in your uh, at this point If i'm doing the math right you got to be in your starting at least in your early 40s by now you've well established in your career correct 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 <laughs> now you're going to go work for these kids that have this crazy these, idea.
1: these kids have this crazy idea <laughs> and um i i remember um i had a, a white jaguar at the time because it was proper you know to have you know english cars with um english company and <laughs> they bought a a brownstone. Brian Robertson bought a brownstone in Baltimore (laughs) for our first office that, um, was kind of scary parking. (laughs) And uh, it was by a fire department. I'll never forget trying to conference calls or trying to phone calls with the sirens and trying to, it never failed. I mean, single pane glass and trying Mm -hmm. to hide in closets and talk and going up this, the stairway sideways because it it was a rickety old house. But, um, it was a, a a brand new venture and it was exciting and every day was crazy. And so Jigger, I was the first director of sales and we got to then hire um this uh amazing analyst, Luke Mawinney. Yeah. Um, Sorry
0: about Luke. Was Luke after um, before Charlie.
1: Oh Charlie came much later. Yeah. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, Luke was my first analyst. The first analyst was Sun Edison and um I remember interviewing him and um he was just such a brainiac and he you know he was had been with goldman too and so um Goldman and he was also he was uh at that point with constellation in the pricing group so i thought to myself hmm <laughs> yeah just just a genius and a crazy crazy amazing and he would go through laptops i mean complex so all the pricing models that they did and all the Complex pieces that Jigger would envision. Luke could just take them and put them into Excel. And Brian Jackalik, who was just an amazing deal guy, who taught me how to do deals and so forth. So I had these amazing guys that I had worked with. Now my bosses, and we built this group. Mm-hmm. And now we got to staff it. And then Luke was was there. Guys, catch some of the names. Hi, uh, Peggy. Well, Peggy Peggy came from Goldman also. Mm-hmm.
0: You build a team there that it's like looking at the old MMA. RV team like the guys like Topher and I mean just you could keep naming but like I look at Sun well yeah as two of the companies that spawned some of the brightest minds in the solar industry
1: well and and because yeah they, they actually spawned because they were they were the initial ones and they were making it up as they went you know it's like no but there was no directions on how to take this but luckily um you know we hired Matthew Dickey and he had come from Johnson Controls and he you know, if you talk about kind of the evolution of how the business grew, so I was hired for the commercial and industrial, mm-hmm. and that was kind of there, and then we hired Matthew to run the public sector. So public sector at St. was anybody that didn't pay tax, <laughs> okay? So state, county, local federal government, parks, recreation, you know, those types of things, national, everything, U.S. government, military, he handled that. Then... As we grew more, we went into national accounts, which I took on. And then we had, of course, the CNI that was handled by uh, Brendan Quinlivan, who worked for me, right. hired, hired him. And now he's a constellation running their program. Um, public sector, which is Matthew still. And then they hired uh, Robert Richenberger, who um, ran the utility business. But he also came in under, under Matthew. So a lot of these great leaders in the the industry and a lot of the people are still really doing well uh, all cultivated their careers in solar from other careers (laughs) a lot of them came from (laughs) your mind's like a steel trap um what's interesting though let's say one thing before that we forget that raft of people came from mobile no way like you mean from like telecom so you had johnson controls was that first wave we kind of pick those guys through in the energy efficiency and the, yeah, you know the SCO's I love what so forth. You help me
0: understand how you grew the team. I see. Where yeah. do you look for talent? How do you think about a new industry? How, where do you look well, where be? do you find talent? Right. You you find a gem and guess what? You bring
1: their friends mm-hmm. on the people they know, people they've worked with, people they've respected. So you know, Matthew had great connections and he brought on. You know, Jared Schalk is amazing.
0: Were they great because of their network? Were they great because in the telecom industry, they understood how solar needed to scale? Like, what was it about where they had worked before that helped them get into solar when, as we saw, like the IT sales guys didn't really flourish?
1: Well, here's the real thing. Solar telecom licenses for software. It's moving one product to somebody else. Mm-hmm. How it gets there and how it works is the secret sauce, right? These guys had an ability to do these things. They knew how to sell and close. The ability to do that. And they came into this new process which Jigger had in place already in his brainchild. And they were able to take what they had and add to it and build more. more, Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: what's more important, the ability – I'm trying to parse here. What's more important, the ability to understand how the technology works and to be able to convey that to a customer or the ability to find a customer and close the contract no matter what the technology? Well, (laughs) here's how it kind of rolled out.
1: Um, Technology is not my forte, nor is it most other people's forte that are in the selling side. Mm -hmm. However, a lot of the sales folks that came in or, you know, engineers and so forth, electrical engineers. Um, Many, many times engineers and salespeople don't see eye to eye simply because, you know, the joke always was, is that we we sell whatever we say comes out of our mouth and the engineers are plagued with the task of trying to make it happen. (laughs) They see black, they see white, they see square corners, and we see beveled edges, we see gray, we see off-white you know, we see shadows. And so we had to develop this new thing called a sales engineer, which was a hybrid because I had learned in taking just staunch engineers because they would be overly direct with sometimes with customers and say, there's just no possibility this will ever pencil right, or right. I can't even see this ever working. And you're like, okay, thank you. You take an
0: engineer into the, to the interconnection room and the engineer looks at it and goes, this is a nightmare. We can't ever do this.
1: No, trust me, I took – one of the big ski resorts in California in the very, very beginning was very interested in in uh, going solar. And so I had this big meeting at the factory and brought them in and showed them how the models were made and whatever else. And they, I mean, they basically had an open checkbook. And so we we were just amazed at this this process. And then I brought in my engineer to kind of explain the technical side, and he sat down to their president and said, you know, I, I've penciled this every way. But Sunday, I just don't see how this will ever be cost effective. (laughs) So we never, we never made the sale. No. And then, then we were next door to Jelly Belly, you know, Herman Golitz, you know, who has a candy company. Uh Who we sourced our computer systems, and he wanted to come and see what we'd done. And um, so I sat down with him, and so forth, in this group around, and said, um, "So Herman, what's your?" What's your IT budget? And he said, Corey, I sell sugar for thirty-two dollars a pound. I don't have a budget. <laughs> so it just kind <laughs> of gives you the idea, you know. Solar, we were always under the gun, you know. How do we make this work? We we're always uh, expensive and so forth. But oh, um,
0: I love it. That's amazing. You have such a canon of stories. I would love to understand. I've I've got a lot more that I think we could touch on. Early days in Sun Edison. You got the world you, the world is your oyster in terms of markets how did you prioritize how to oh my how god how to strategize your team who goes where what markets you penetrate first i mean you guys were the first to get right macy's and and whole foods and some of these big deals
1: how do you know what was interesting though is that um luckily we had this amazing spokesperson jigger who had kind of blazed a trail with the amazing possibilities of doing things and so forth and he was able to really help me meet who was interested and who wasn't, and he taught me where to go and where to meet those people. that's kind of the you know, the secret sauce, you know, of of how to meet these folks and where they are. But now move back to that time. Global warming was just becoming interesting and progressive companies were trying to differentiate themselves from the others. Right. So you had early adopters like Patagonia Mm -hmm. who put thermal in and some solar, whether it made sense or not. Remember, you couldn't connect to the grid then. Right. So they put in UPS systems. Mm. How many times a year does your power go out? Right. Well, we're going to protect our data, whatever, you know, but they were early adopters. And so when we used to go around to place solar systems or try and sell them, who did we talk to back then? We went to the facilities guy. We talked to the guy with 50 keys on his belt. We talked to the guy that bought the switchgear. We talked to the guys that ordered electricity or bought the electricity. That's who we had to do. We got on the roof with them. We laid out the systems. That's how the early days happened. Then suddenly, it became fashionably acceptable to have a sustainability department. And you have a link on your website, which we have websites now that say, you know, we displace this many cars. We take away this much cardboard. We do this and this for this reason. You should shop at our store. Right. And here are our, our solar stores. The first ad- real adopter was, you know, Staples. Hmm. Staples really believed in it. Whole Foods really believed in it. TJ Maxx really believed in it. They all happened to be located within 10 miles of each other in Boston. Wow. So it's just kind of like, you know, Keeping that up, the East Coast locations, you know, Target, Macy's, and so forth, they were they were wanting to go on because at that point, the incentives were so big in New Jersey, if you recall, mm-hmm. that you could almost put a system in with a, an investor before there was a PPA and and just be owned outright mm-hmm.
0: and even get enough credit back you could probably put a new roof
1: in under it or whatever i mean there were just so many different things
0: right well but at that time were you talking still to the facilities manager or was there a was there change well that's
1: that's uh, that was the change that came on so suddenly now we're talking to an energy manager we're talking to an energy buyer we're now talking to the folks that are buying the power for the organization because they really couldn't you know raise their prices they were all Kind of static on where their margins were. They couldn't really raise their prices. Costs were going up. So the only place they could really add to their bottom line was by saving money. Outbacks down. Right. So, in the result of doing that, solar was a great opportunity. Big story. I mean, at Staples, we're at a big review with all the folks helping them do this incentive to bring their, their spend down, mm-hmm. right? And so... Uh, we had just really started working with them and I did the presentation. We all did our presentations and the um, people from uh, the lighting company that had done the relamping of the stores, you know, basically said, you know, we've saved them two and a half million dollars and in this period of time, and plan to do this much more. But we'd only had a few systems. So I stood up and I was kind of, uh, well, we've saved them $63,000. And people were just kind of like, "Why bother?" And I said, "Well, because they wrote zero checks out of pocket, yeah. and they wrote a two and a half million dollars check to buy the lamps to save the two and a half million for the future. So I'm giving them free savings without any money out of pocket." So the facilities people then became the energy buyers, which became sustainability departments, mm-hmm. and we were negotiated with those. And then it was a contest among peers. Of retailers, who was going to have the biggest and the best solar program, and so forth. And so that's kind of where my claim to fame came, is that I made the largest sale of solar in the world at the time. Um, I did the whole state of California, uh, Kohl's over a hundred stores, Kohl's. seventy-five seventy-five megawatts at the time, and that was a half a billion dollar sale. Yeah, and um, that was one of maybe three hundred and fifty we did with them. You Know or the contracts that were done with them, mm-hmm. so um, that, that, that's how the business grew, and what it, how, <clears throat> how it evolved, as an example, mm-hmm. as it as it evolved, uh, we weren't anymore in the at the end just negotiating. You know, you're talking about some of the pivotal things that happened, you know, some of the secret sauce, or how you you did to figure out how, you know, so to get the whole deal with Kohl's. Instead of doing 100 stores and 100 different power rates, we took all those power rates for the whole state. We took all the fees associated. We took all the costs of the systems. Then we averaged them out. And then we gave them a flat rate for power for the whole state, regardless of the utility, where it was, and whatever else.
0: It was unheard of at the time. Revolutionary and zero out of pocket. You hacked the system. You just said, guys, I know you don't want to hear that you've got a PPA of 12 cents in Fairfield and 13 cents in, in right. Redmond. Do you want a different? Right. So that was an amazing concept. And that's the the PBI, the performance base
1: incentive, was just in the infancy. It hadn't started yet. Mm-hmm. So we kept this sale a complete secret. We got all the applications filled out because there was $0.39, cent, there was 37 35
0: Progressionary
1: because remember that's how
0: to step down. That's right.
1: We're supposed to get the step down so eventually we could get to the lowest cost of power and Eventually, there'd be enough volume that the, the solar would become cost-effective and the incentives would eventually go away Right. We secretly went in there that opening day and I took the first 39 cent thing with the largest sale ever I just swamped them with wow. the, So that's what we always did with everything. We just kept it secret and we went in and just flooded the contracts and, and took the incentives. And that was kind of how Sunnus and you know, worked and so yeah. forth. Remember Sunnison in the beginning was an EPC. Right. That's right. That's why you bought new vision team solar. Exactly. That so They yeah. did the installs. They're very good and very effective at it. It wasn't until kind of the, you know, the, the ramping down and so forth. And, mm-hmm. and remember sometimes the come and go. Mm-hmm. And so when they halted the program, right. You have yeah. All when it stepped down from 34 to like 18. And right. Then, mm-hmm. You know and and all the you know the, the the tax credits went away or this happened or that happened or even the, in between the CSI and the MBI um, or the P- PBI um, you had to have journeyman electricians sitting on hand and next thing you know you're flying them to New Jersey, you're flying them here or there you have a hundred trucks it was it was a the, the biggest the biggest joke was the best way to make 50 million dollars in the solar industry was to start with a hundred million. Mm. At the time, yeah. Yeah. you know the companies with deep pockets kind of do this, and then kind of working through it. Amazing. But, um, it's the early days.
0: Do you do you recall when you realized that your team was dominating?
1: Um, you know it's really funny. Um, you, you you never. You never, I never, at least, allowed myself in my mind to let up mm. because every initiative. Now, you have to kind of think back again as the evolution happened. There was a huge crash of the 2008 of the financial right. markets, remember? Mm-hmm. And two of the big, big banks that were committed to fund a lot of product projects for Senate Edison backed out and left them hanging with about a hundred million dollars worth of systems that were completed with no funding as well as the big you know 30 60 million dollar projects in Spain that the government just never paid on or didn't pay for a long time whatever else it left this vibrant budding company almost in financial ruin. So I can remember, at, at Christmas time thinking Were well, we going to survive, you know, can we make it? It was really touch and go and everybody was I mean there was there was solar, I mean it was just secondary it was that the whole housing market collapsed and everything right. and then this um, lifeline came along MEMC and much came and and acquired, you know, Sun Edison and That's when they decided at that point. Okay. We're going to close down the construction site. It's just too much overhead. Right. This is opportunity. We're going to do sales and marketing, but we're now going to buy you guys because, you know, in the silicon business, silicon is made into two things. One, a semiconductor or a solar cell. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you want to guarantee that your technology gets utilized, then it's probably not a bad idea to buy a behemoth. Yeah. You know, and M E M C at
0: the time was the, one of the largest polysilicon providers, right? One of the and, largest uh, um, mono
1: and polysilicon, but most importantly, yeah. they had the most, um, the most expensive processes of smelting silicon, but it was the most efficient and the purest, right. which is interesting. And so there was a, a lot of a lot of growth over there, but it was just a, a revamping. So that's when we hired a, a gentleman by the name of Kirk Roller, who came to us from Compact Computer, and he. Um, taught us about the channel business. And so what I'm kind of going at is the fact that when there's this big downsizing, you you don't have a lot of feet on the street, how do you keep the momentum going to keep the sales going and so forth? And how do you meet the market demand and so forth? And so this is when I was tasked with him to build the channel program. Mm -hmm. And that's where we went out and we subcontracted our building, our sales departments and so forth with the key players. Which are still around today, Borrego as an example, REC, you know.
0: Um, that's how uh, we met. I was at DRI Energy. Which right, exactly. Is that's exactly, <laughs> exactly how. Yeah, we, we won a lot of business with you guys. Uh, Amoresco, when, yeah. You know, when you guys started that channel business. I remember that. So that's,
1: that's kind of how it worked and that's kind of what we we, we prospered in. But now you talk about, you know, being dominant. There was always somebody nipping at your heels. Hmm. So what's interesting, though, is that I, I think impersonation and copying something that you're doing was my flattery, mm-hmm. because suddenly everybody had a channel program then. Everybody had a National Accounts Department. Everybody had, you know, every initiative we did first, everybody's doing PPAs. So to me, that was like, you're always a market leader. Yeah. And those things that people are copying you later, then trying to recruit you later to go there on the program. That to me was a flattery. Imitation is the truest flattery, yeah. Exactly, exactly.
0: That's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors, and you're now well-armed for battle. Hopefully, you'll take away some great tools for your own success. I'd love it if you'd share what you learned or share the episode over on LinkedIn. Let me know what other tools you need. If you want to sharpen the axe a little bit more, I've shared some of the resources we discussed in today's conversation over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the latest episode link in the title bar. Perhaps the best tool in your arsenal might be subscribing to the mailing list while you're there so that you'll get an email from yours truly when new content is available. Have a suggestion for someone you think should join the conversation? Email me, nico at mysuncast.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Hey, that's it. Thanks for being here. Until next time, stay informed, my friend, and stay tuned.